are all things. And even in your reconciliation, you're being brought back to God. Even that reconciliation was accomplished in him and through him and to him. This is why I think it may appear odd that Jesus calls one of his top servants to toil and suffering. You would think because Paul is serving him that Jesus might dish out even a little bit more rest to someone that he loves so much. So that's really the the struggle that I want you to feel today. Jesus is promising to you rest. At the same time, he's commanding toil and suffering. This is where we are in Colossians 1, 24. So if you would, follow along with me in your Bibles. Now... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery of hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and in teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Back in verse 24, Paul speaks of those sufferings related to his service to God's people. In other words, if he were not in the ministry... He would reduce the amount of suffering he had to endure. In other words, his yoke was heavier because he was obeying Christ. And yet, Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings for them. How should we understand Paul here? 
On the one hand, we should not take Paul to mean that feelings of joy always overwhelmed him. When I was working in construction in Dayton, Ohio, I remember working with a fellow Christian, and he hits his thumb with a hammer. And his reaction was not one of pain, but joy. I don't, I mean, it was like, yeah, happy, you know, like, I was like, what is going on with this guy? Instead of, like, acting in pain and saying, oh, that hurts, he was like, happy am I in Christ or something. And I, and I said, man, you're a nut. I get it that you're trying to not cuss. I get that, trying to control your emotions. But don't think that your spirituality actually takes away all experience of pain and suffering in this life. It just doesn't. And Paul will tell you that very thing. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. That doesn't sound like someone who's just skipping through the tulips, right? He is, it's a struggle. You see, I believe that when you actually minister to the church, you are extending the same love that Christ had to the church. So you, you are, if you're going to love somebody, you're going to endure pain as you wrestle with them to walk with God. I just want you to know that. But that's, it's not, oh, I rejoice in my suffering. Oh, it's a piece of cake. I love it. You know, you talk to people and they say, how are you doing? I'm always great, never tired, never, you know, it's like I'm just, everything's good all the time. And I can fall into that myself. Let me give you a better definition of what I think to rejoice in suffering is. To rejoice in suffering is making a willful choice to not run from the suffering. To embrace it as good. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Jesus was just happy when he was on the cross? He was hurting. He was suffering. And yet there was a joy in front of him that let him continue to go towards that suffering. Paul follows the example of Christ. Jesus endured suffering, so Paul is going to endure suffering because they're basically carrying out the same mission. He does not shrink from the suffering. When you really love someone, and I know many of you do, I've seen the way you love one another. When you love someone, you are willing to sacrifice for them. When God was explaining to Ananias that he had called Paul into the faith, 
he tells him, you better tell Paul this. I am going to show you how much you are going to suffer for the sake of my name. How'd you like to have your coming to Christ moment be like, yes, believe in me. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you life. And let me just show you how much you're going to suffer for me. When it says suffering for the name of Christ, who bears the name of Christ? The church. So Paul, uh, God could have just as easily said to Paul, let me show you how much you're going to suffer for me as you serve the church. Jesus didn't call Paul to suffer because of past sins. He didn't call him to, to suffer because he was being more and more sanctified, although that's true. He was suffering because he was carrying on the same work that Jesus was doing while he was here on this earth. Now, in this passage, Paul is suffering in a unique way. I mean, he's an apostle. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. But I'm going to equate that every person in the church is called to love the rest of the church. And in call, being called to love the rest of the church, you will endure suffering as you try to love people and carry on the mission of Christ. You see... It wasn't something in the church that enabled Paul to rejoice. It was theology that brought him to rejoice. You see, look at what Paul says. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. I wonder how many of you even think that way. In my suffering for other people in the church, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. Now, I grant you, that's a very difficult understanding. I'm going to try to explain it to you here as best I can. But that's the reality. Paul is experiencing suffering as he ministers to people. All different kinds of suffering. We'll talk about that as we go along. But he basically says, oh, I'm just finishing what Christ began. Now, we know, you're all good theologians, he's not adding to the atonement. It's not like Jesus didn't pay enough for the wrath of God over us and forgive us our sins. We, that's clear. Hebrews 10, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's not for atonement of sin that Paul is suffering. Paul is thinking about Jesus' work of ministering to people. Think about Jesus' life here on this earth. He had his 12 apostles. He had uh, people that he ministered to, the woman at the well. I mean, just constantly ministering to people everywhere that he went. And because of that, he had sleepless nights. He cared about people. He's ministering to them. He's thinking more about their welfare than his own. He's basically living a selfless life in order to carry the truth of who he is to as many people as he could. And it wasn't easy for Jesus. We often think that he walked on the earth. It was easy for him. Yeah, he's God. He can do all these things. But listen to some of the things that Jesus says. Matthew 17, 17. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. 
How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? What's going on there? He's trying to help them grow in Christ. He wants them to get life right. He wants them to overcome sin. He wants them to understand how great he is. And they're just not getting it. And he's just like, oh my goodness, how long am I going to bear with you? Okay, you try to minister to someone and try to help them know Christ. And you'll know what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking to Philip. Not this Philip. He's talking to Philip. And Philip is one Jesus said, man, there's no, not even any uh, guile in you, Philip. You're just a, you're awesome. He's early in his ministry. And then later on, Philip's just not getting it. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? There's frustration. That's what Paul's experienced. He's got the greatest news in all the world. And people are like, yeah, whatever, moving on. He's frustrated. Don't you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus also experienced a lot of physical pains. He says, foxes and have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, of course, we, most of us have places to lay their head. I'm thankful for my, my bed that I sleep on every night. But you could ask the question, why does Jesus not have better accommodations? Well, the answer is because he was going to people. And he cared more about people and identifying with them than he did with his own comfort. He wanted them to be known that he would, it's not all about just his luxury, but he's willing to serve other people and go to them where they are. Jesus endured these kind of sufferings because he wanted to come near to you. He wanted to meet you where you are. He doesn't say, I'm up in my throne, come, and come to me if you want. No, he goes to you. And Paul believed that even his ministry to the Gentiles was a continuation of the work that Jesus was doing. Jesus actually told his disciples, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. We think, oh, miracles and great things and da-da-da. He's talking about continuing to take the gospel to people and help them understand the truth of who he is. You will carry on the work that I began when I was here on this earth. And so he says, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now that gives you meaning to your work. God forbid that all we're doing here at Faith Church is trying to fill this building up and have some people here. It's not what it's about. We're about trying to help people carry on the same ministry that Christ began when he was here. You'll see this in a minute. Verse 25, of which, meaning the church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Now you have to understand stewardship is like the owner has the responsibility, but then he gives that responsibility to a steward. And that's what we are in the church. Like he's saying, I'm, I'm in charge, I care for my church, but I'm giving it to you, Paul, as a steward to carry on that work. What is he doing? I want you, Paul, to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. 
You see, Paul says that he believes that he's taking the Word of God and he's making it fully known to the people of God. That's what he's doing. Now, making the Word of God fully known is more than just teaching the facts of the Bible. In fact, I would say that the Pharisees understood their Bibles as well as anyone. And Jesus told them that they were making people just as much headed to hell as they were. Jesus says it well in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Making the word of God fully known is helping people to see Christ in the scripture. Notice as well that this is a ministry that Paul has been given, not just to a select few, but to all the saints. In other words, God's purpose for everyone in here that bears his name is that you would fully know Jesus Christ. Paul says that's his task. Just why you get frustrated when people don't seem to be growing in their knowledge of Christ. Like my whole task is to help you grow to know Jesus and you don't look like you're growing. It's frustrating. I'm not saying that of you guys. I'm just saying that that's the frustration that you feel. And Paul was willing to bear that because he knew that Jesus bore that ministry and he was willing to reach out to people and to love them and to try to help them to know who he was. Verse 27, 27. To them, to you, to you the church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, of this mystery. Now this is the, the riches. This is, you can't speak any more grand than this. And here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. you've all heard that verse you know it's true Christ in me the hope of glory yes that's great but I believe that it the profoundness of that escapes us it's just not so much that Jesus is great that's why we sang all glory lot and honor at the beginning you're great up there all that greatness is now dwelling in your heart. And because he's dwelling in your heart, you have the hope of glory. Not just going to glory. Not just being around the glorious one. You yourself will be made glory. That's the, that's the hope that we have. Glorification. You will be perfect in every way. Because Christ is in you. This transformation is slow. Sometimes it seems like it's non-existent. It... Uh, 
sometimes you wonder if God's even going to be up to the task. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This word for mature, it's good. Mature is uh, good because it gives you the, the idea of, of a baby that's born. It's not yet fully mature and grown. So like when you first come to know Christ, you're not a full-grown adult. You're, you're growing and maturing in Christ. That's what we're trying to present you as mature in Christ. As long as you don't think that mature just means kind of like older. Mature means perfect. Mature, you know, Jesus, or I think Jesus taught this, be perfect as I am perfect. Or God says it in the Old Testament. Be perfect as I am perfect. That's the same word, mature. God is perfect. Be just like God. Not in his deity, but in his character. So here's the way I'm illustrating this. This is where the Russian doll comes in. So... You come to know Jesus Christ and you believe in him and you hear the promise that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And you place your faith in Christ. And as you place your faith in Christ, you experience great thankfulness because you are forgiven of your sin, because you are cleansed from your sin, because you are made new in Christ. And you are thinking, man, I am on my way to glory. And you're happy. But what happens as you study the Bible and as you live life, and I'll walk over here, it is like Christ was this big when you first trusted in him. But as he has disappointed you, maybe you're not growing as fast as you'd like to grow. You're not conquering the sin. Maybe you've endured some kind of suffering that you're experienced. Oh, Christ becomes this big in your heart. Then maybe you're raising your, parent, your kids, and as they grow up, they turn away from the Lord. And you say, well, I thought that they were going to be saved. What's going on? And Christ becomes this big in your heart. And then you think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just enjoy God's word all the time, and I'm going to have this fellowship with God. And then you start thinking, where is God? I don't even feel him close to me. Where is this guy? And Christ becomes this big. Life, little by little, begins to shrink your understanding of Christ. You can carry the illustration on. But I want you to think of it in a different way. And I think this is what Paul's trying to do in this letter. I can't do this because I'm not imaginary like Harry Potter. But in the, in the Harry Potter books, there's this one place where... They have this tent, and there's just like a small tent, eight by eight or something like that. But you walk into the tent, and when you walk into the tent, it's like this grandiose room. It's huge, and it's fully furnished, and it's beautiful. And I wish I could illustrate this in the doll. It'd be like every time you opened up Christ a little bit more, instead of the doll getting smaller, he gets bigger. That's what Paul's doing with Christ. He's telling the, the, the Colossians, your, your idea of Christ is too small. It's getting smaller. It's getting smaller. I want you to know that he is everything. He's bigger and bigger and bigger. There's nowhere else you need to go because Christ is the one who will take you fully to glory. Don't quit trusting in Christ. 
This is why meditating on the Bible is so important. When you study the Bible, you're not just doing some spiritual duty that somehow is going to earn you points with God. Every day of your life, the world is trying to mock you and shrink down Jesus in your heart. Where's the only place you're going to get it built back up again? Where's the only place where he's going to see Christ for who he truly is? Except in Scripture. And Paul says it's not enough to just keep remembering how great Christ is. This is where the rubber meets the road. He's, he's in you. So all that greatness is going to transform you into being just like him. And how often do we not believe that? Verse 29. For this I toil. This is why it's so burdensome when you're actually trying to minister to another person because you want to see Christ grow in somebody's heart that he becomes more and more and more inside of them. That's so much more than just teaching a, a Bible passage. It's, 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 it's a spiritual thing that has to happen. And you're, you're saying, how can it happen? And, he, and Paul says that he's struggling with all of his energy. And you think, oh, wouldn't that be nice if like struggling with this energy of... of, of um, of Christ is like um, makes makes ministry easy, and the illustration I have of that is yeah, I like to go canoeing. You're paddling in a canoe, and no matter how much you paddle, it gets tiring, right? Well, you think, okay, I got the spirit now. It's like putting on an outboard motor on the back of your canoe. That's not it. Somehow he's working inside of you in your weakness and your fatigue to keep on paddling and not quit. That's the energy that he does. Paul is laboring. He's struggling. He, the, the word is, is that he's agonizing. And he says, I want you to know, verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Paul's even wrestling. He's struggling with people he's never even met. And I don't know if you understand this, but every time you preach the word of God, it's like, it's like a ridge line. I use ridge line a lot. You could do like a pin top. There are so many ways you can get it wrong. And you're wrestling. I just want to get the truth of what is in there. I want to exalt Christ. I want people to understand the truth of Christ. And then you're saying, Lord, please impact it in their hearts so that they embrace it. That's what it means to be a minister. And it's true of pastors, but it's true of every one of you. You just take one person that you try to influence, you try to really care about, you try to help them to know Christ, and you realize how difficult this is. He does this. He, he wrestles. He toils. He embraces the toil. He's okay with it because he knows that their heart, his desire is that their hearts would be encouraged being knit together in love. If you leave here today saying, Christ, I'm encouraged to stay in the fight. I'm encouraged to continue to pursue you and to trust in you. Then that is, that's, that's what I want. Paul says, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can't go anywhere else and get anything more than right here in Christ. Amen.
Paul doesn't even see it as, as something that he has to do alone. I think that's why he says that in the body they will love one another, being knit together in love. One of the greatest things, and I see this happening in our fellowship. I, it gives me more joy than almost anything. When I hear reports of one member encouraging another member, loving them in Christ, helping them to grow in Christ. That's, the, that's it. Verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This is so helpful. In the clear light of day, to stray from Christ is the greatest foolishness that anyone could ever commit. But you don't always live in the clear light of day. Some days there's a soupy fog that descends upon your soul. And you struggle to see Christ even in front of your face. And in that haze you begin to think small thoughts of Christ. The arguments to leave Christ, to go somewhere else, to think that something else in life will give you peace and joy and true glory. Those arguments begin to sound plausible. They have a ring of truth to them. You know, I'll just give you a couple. If Jesus is so great, why is his church so full of hypocrites? If Jesus is so great, why has he not enabled me to conquer my sin? wrote the Bible anyway? Isn't it not just written by men? Isn't that not just the wishful thinking of men? If faith alone in Christ alone is the true gospel, why is it that so many people who say they believe bear so little fruit? And if God loves me so much, why does he make life so hard? The arguments are endless. That's just a few. And they are specific to your soul. Satan is like a spider crafting his web specifically for you. Putting it where he's going to catch you and drag you down. And the waves of deception just keep rolling in. You think you've defeated that? You break through the wave, you pop up, and there's another one coming at you. Paul says he gladly accepts this battle. One of the hardest things of being a minister is to pour hours and hours into someone's soul and watch them walk away from Christ. And you know what the energy of Christ is? Keep going back. Go back to the next person. Put as much effort as you can in that person as you did the first person.
For though I am absent in body, I am yet, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? To help one another keep believing in Christ. Think about that. That requires toil. It requires suffering. It requires struggle. And you will not keep doing that. I get it. Everybody does it in different times and ways. And it, it's not just being the pastor. It's there's a zillion ways in which you can serve the church. But if you really care about someone, then you will want to see the firmness of their faith grow. You want to see their confidence that Christ is everything. You want to see that grow. That's the main thing that you're about. And when you do that, you are filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. You see, Christ really is more than you could ever imagine. He does get bigger and bigger every time you open up the lid. He doesn't get smaller. You'll spend all eternity seeing how great Christ is. And Christ really does dwell in you by faith alone. He really is in your heart through his spirit. And he really will make you perfect in Christ. He really will do that. And when you reach that glory, you will finally understand Jesus' words when he says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Amen. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, Benji, come on up. Nathan, Danny, would you come up? These guys are elders. They're not super saints. They, uh, it's good. They will serve me. I will serve them to show you that all of us need to be served by Christ. That's the point. Um, you should know that the ones who are leaders and shepherds in this church need Christ just as much as you do. They struggle with the same struggle that you struggle with. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where in my ministry, where in my studies that this was made clear to me, but it was a light bulb that changes the way I approach the sacrament forever. Probably in some talking to a kid about communion. I don't know. <clears throat> you struggle. Well, I don't care what you tell me. You struggle to believe that Jesus lives in your heart. You can't touch him. You can't feel him. When we say that the God of the universe, in whom and through whom and to whom are all things, dwells in your heart, that is not easy to accept. 
And I think Jesus knows it. I think that's why he gave us communion. One reason. You see, when you take the bread and he says, this is my body, and you take it into you, and it somehow begins to dissolve through the, the physical food, begins to dissolve in the juices, and you don't even know where that piece of bread is anymore, but somehow it's in you and it's affecting you and it's changing you and it's helping you to, to grow, that's what Christ is telling you. I'm in you. He is more in you than the physical bread. He's just as real as that physical bread in you. He is there by His Spirit. And that changes everything. Changes the way you pursue life. Sanctification. It's not just something I'm doing, but something He's doing in me. That's the beauty of communion. And Jesus knows that you need to regularly be reminded of that. Don't turn the Christian life into just, I'm up here, you're down there doing your thing. Remember that the Christian life is I have come to you in, the, in my physical life on the earth. I have died for your sins, but I am now in you. And I love you. And I will take you to glory. So that all of your Christianity is lived out by faith. So as you take this, these sacraments, these elements, it is, it is not magical the bread doesn't do anything. The juice doesn't do anything. But as you partake of them, your eyes and your, your nose, your smelling and your taste and your touch, all of that's being engaged so that you will say, yes, I am in Christ and I will continue to live by faith in Him. That's what this is all about. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why do you think Jesus can be in you? Because his blood has washed you clean. The holy and pure God of, the, uh, of creation would never dwell in that which is corrupt and evil. He has washed you clean. And therefore, He is free to indwell you. Perfect holiness. Indwelling people who are not yet holy. That's the beauty of the gospel. Praise God for that. No other religion says anything like this that the holy and pure God of the universe would do all that is necessary to bring sinful and corrupt people near to Him so that He could change them. That's why I love Christianity. I'm a minister because I, that first meant something to me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give You thanks. Father, You dreamed up this plan said, I'm going to create a bride for you, Jesus. And, and guess what? They're going to come out of the worst people in the world. And Jesus said, okay, Dad, tell me what you want me to do. And you did it. You came down in the flesh and you dwelt with us in our flesh. And you, you loved us and you worked salvation for us. And finally, Holy Spirit, you're the one. 
How in the world it must be frustrating to you at times living inside of such dense people. Thank you for doing it. Help us to receive you by faith spiritually as we receive these elements. Amen. We partake of the bread individually because you individually receive Christ. some fellowships, people come up and the minister will place the bread in their mouth and every person they'll say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Um, we don't do that in our fellowship, not because it's better where we're all doing this, but I just, I want you to understand Calvin called communion the kiss of Christ. It's different than preaching. 
Preaching is even for those who don't know Christ and they can come and to initial faith in Christ. But communion is for those who already know Christ. And, and therefore, when he says to people, Nathan, this is Jesus saying, Nathan, this is my body broken for you. That's how personal it is. Benji, this is my body broken for you. And my friend Danny, this is my body broken for you. You see why Jesus is the most important person here? It's not things that we're doing. It's what he does. He loves his people. He says to us, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know, in covenants, they make a covenant and they kill an animal and they say, okay, if you don't keep this covenant, you're going to die just like that animal died. That's the way covenants are meant. What Jesus does is he says, yeah, yeah, you already broke the covenant. But instead of you dying, I'm dying. And I'm going to create a new covenant out of my death, out of my blood that is washing you. That's what you're doing here today. You're coming to him knowing that you have not been faithful and that he in his blood is the only way that you can ever come into the blessing that he has purchased for you. So let's hold the cup and we will drink together.
covenant in his blood. The new covenant in his blood. The Apostle John got to lay his head on the breast of Jesus Christ. You don't get to do that. Not until you were raised physically. All the rest of the saints will you be able to be that close to him physically. This communion is the way that you come close to Christ. As close as you'll come physically to Christ. He is present with us today. John says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that together our joy may be complete. Smile and drink together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise. We are, we are small, but you are great. And you are doing great things in us, even when we can't always feel it or see it. And we're in the, the haze of the fog, and the arguments against you seem so plausible. Lord, help us to renew our faith, and help us to be agents of renewing the faith of those around us, encouraging one another to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.